Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 6 from The Return to the Hiding Place by Hans Poulet. Chapter 6. How long, O Lord? As the long July days crept by, the war began to impose itself even more than it had already on our cramped and uncertain refuge. On the 19th, we learned that friends of my parents had been arrested together with nine Jews they sheltered. Apparently, their address became too well known and they were betrayed. We took it as a warning for us to be more careful. Tante Kess kept assuring us that angels are protecting this home, and we kept telling her that that didn't mean that we shouldn't ensure maximum security. We worried that she was careless and talked too much to outsiders. She insisted that she knew her friends well enough to trust them. Still, many had already lost their freedom through the indiscretion of friends. Tante Bep, on the other hand, was much more cautious and talked about us with the family only. The military air traffic picked up as the month went by, sometimes with as many as four air raids a day. We took it as a good sign that the Allies were closing in, but it also caused us some concern. We had heard that some of the bombs meant for the Fokker Air aircraft factory near the Amsterdam airport had hit houses, a church, and a school. One sunny day, we lay on the flat roof and watched a few fighter planes buzzing around the high-flying bomber squadrons. Suddenly, in the midst of what must have been an air battle, a German fighter plane exploded and came spiraling down. We all cheered, even while we watched the pilot bail out and parachute down. Material support for us arrived through Meese good offices, a sack of wheat, and a crate of pears. More cheers. Our hope continued on our hopes continued on their roller coaster ride when we heard that a giant convoy some eighteen miles long was on its way from the USA to Europe, with the Italian government and defense in disarray. The invasion seemed at hand. Every news bulletin carried inspiring new details. Squadrons of bombers passed overhead continually. Searchlights stabbed the night sky, and the air raid warnings kept us awake. One night, we came together in the corridor on the top floor, all in our pajamas, and sat there for several hours. We listened to the drone of the aircraft while we cheerfully shared our hopes. Hank, Wazels, and Lindert finally left our small group, and a Mr. De Vries arrived. Tante Kess knew little of his background, and we felt uneasy about him. The person who brought him had only a vague recommendation when he was quite, quite critical of the Allies and cynical about our government and war effort. We became suspicious. He 
could well be a member of the Dutch Nazi party or an undercover agent for all we knew. The others sent me to Tante Kesses to ask her to try to get more definite information about him. Who is he? Where does he come from? Can he be trusted? We remained very tense while he, she went out to find contacts and inquire about him. We realized too well the consequences if he turned out to be an agent of the Gestapo. But she came back early in the evening with reassuring information. He's all right, but they say he's an extremely critical person. We felt relieved a, and a bit guilty, so we tried to be as nice as possible to him. He turned out to be an excellent singer and violin player and soon fit in unexpectedly well. To top all the emotions we heard on the news that Mussolini stepped down and was succeeded by Ben Mendoglio, Mary couldn't believe it. She was quiet for some time, then went upstairs to have a good cry. It didn't help that rumors flew and an assortment of people on the run suddenly came and as suddenly left. One day, we heard of impending Gestapo raids right in Harlem. A large number of Gestapo and Schenkhardors, a paramilitary group of pro-Nazi Dutch, had arrived. We decided to sit guard again uh, behind the parlor windows, taking two and a half hour shifts. That would give us at least some advance warning in case of an emergency. A few days later, Kick Tenboom and two friends turned up unexpectedly. An underground raid went sour, and they had to run for their lives to escape arrest by the Gestapo. All the beds were now taken, so they slept on the floor in the parlor. In case of an alarm, they planned to escape through the top floor window onto the roof because of the angels den would be full. The war came even closer when I learned that uh, Auschwitz uh, certificates of exemption for all males born in 1923 and 1924 had become invalid. Several thousand young men about my age were arrested and deported to Germany, but almost at the same hour I learned that the underground had captured many new rations cards in successful raids on several distribution centers, and several complete citizens' records files disappeared in the cities of Soest, Appledorn, and Luorden. Inadvertently, it was the Rise who brought out the fears that lay uneasily and unspoken beneath the surface of daily conversation. It began with a Bible study conducted one afternoon by Willem Tenboom, Yusi criticized his Christian interpretation of Old Testament texts and offered different interpretations current in Talmudic and general Jewish tradition. That didn't surprise us. Given the circumstances, it was inevitable that both sides would feel frustrated. Attempts by Tante Kess to smooth over the differences failed. When the Bible study was finished, we went upstairs to the boys' room and Yusi sulked. See what I mean, he said. 
Haven't I said this all along? This shows how dependent we are on Christian charity. We can't even stand up at such teaching and walk out of the room without appearing discourageous. Uh, discourageous. You see, that's not fair, I retorted. Nobody asked you to attend, and he he's as entitled to his convictions as you are to yours. Ah, do you expect me to remain upstairs and keep quiet and not stand up for my tradition and let you all be subjected to his views without hearing mine? You see, shout, shot out angrily. Obviously, he was too upset to be rational, yet I didn't give up. At least they give you the freedom here to be yourself and to practice your faith, I told Yusi. Even if they don't agree with you, surely the Huns wouldn't let you do that in their labor camps. Yusi broke loose. Ah, gratitude again. But he broke off when he saw de Vries look at me in astonishment. What's the matter with you, Hans? Do you really believe that rubbish about labor camps? The terse, clipped sentence mirrored his anger. We normally avoided that topic. We all knew that arrested Jews were taken to a concentration camp at Westerbork in the eastern part of the country. From there, regularly, a train of cattle cars carried some 2,000 prisoners with their few possessions off to the east. Some said they were going to eastern Germany. Some said to Poland. The Germans said they were headed for labor camps. Their all-out war effort required all able-bodied males at the fronts, requisitioning a replacement labor from occupied countries. Not only Jews, but also non-Jews, sounded perfectly plausible. But in the last months, we had begun to have deeper concern over these transports from Westerbork. Nobody knew exactly what was happening in the East. No letters came from there through the Red Cross. No acknowledgment of packages or messages sent ever returned. Only death notices now and then with the cause of death listed as pneumonia or the like. We all secretly feared the worst, but nobody knew for sure. Now De Vries opened the issue, and the dam broke. Labor camps, my foot, he cried. Don't you believe a word of it. They are death camps to kill all Jews. That's the truth. People have survived Buchenwald and Dachau, and have even returned from there, but where... They are taking the Jews now. Nobody returns. You're a crazy fool to believe what the Huns say. Have you read Mein Kampf? Man, you yourself are suffering from Hitler, and you don't know what he's after. It all It's all there in black and white. We dirty Jews have poisoned his Reich and its history. That's what he says. We are parasites, and he hates us to death. Yes, to death. He wants a pure race and clean country, and therefore he wants to rid of all Jewry. He wants our influence wiped out. Listen to Goebbels, his mouthpiece. He boasts that they will now rid Europe of the Jewish problem. He stopped, out of breath, and we sat there, stunned. 
Deep in our hearts, we felt that what DeVries said might be might well be true, but we didn't want to believe it. It was too ghastly to accept. Such demonic ideas were beyond our comprehension, but we didn't know how to react to his outburst. Yushi broke the silence. May the peace of the Almighty, blessed be his name, be upon them. I'm going downstairs to help the girls prepare dinner, he said, quite subdued now, and left the room. I found a quiet moment to talk to Opa and told him about our discussion and our fears. Of course, he couldn't give me an answer nor offer comfort, but he was deeply moved. Later, in our evening prayers, he brought all our fears before our Almighty Father in Heaven, lifting our Jewish brothers and sisters up to his endless grace, pleading for his sustaining presence with them, wherever they were and whatever their fate. Sleep that night eluded me. Deeply upset, I didn't know what or how to pray. I felt that I was involved, that somehow, sometime, the moment of personal decision was approaching, and there was nothing I could do to avoid it. Each day of the long summer brought new stories of arrests of Jews in Amsterdam and arrests of people hiding. The tension built. We heard about regular transports of Jews to Poland, of mass arrests of all men 18 and 19 years old in the streets, of executions of arrested underground workers. How long, O oh Lord, I silently played, prayed, can it go on, and how long before they find our hiding place? Then on Saturday, August 14, Newley was arrested, together with the Jewish girl she sheltered. Someone had said too much, and the Gestapo got word. They knew exactly who to look for and where to look. They took Newley to the Gestapo headquarters in Harlem for questioning and sent the girl to Judenstel, the Department for Jewish Affairs, in Amsterdam. Fortunately, Newley's husband, Flip, was on a biking uh, holiday. The maid, Marbra, uh, managed to escape through a window at the back of the house and ran to the bay to tell us what happened. Uh, apparently, the Gestapo didn't know that Peter Van Warden was around and he got away also, but the arrest brought to an end a period of rare and wonderful intimacy of a unique sharing of apprehension, trust, and hope among those in the Tenboom household. From the moment we received the news, we knew we weren't safe and would soon have to leave. Tante Kess locked the shop door and instructed Henny to open it only to customers, after satisfying herself that it was safe. We kept constant watch from the windows upstairs, and we warned our residents, resident contacts to keep away for a few days. We have an outbreak of flu here. Don't contact us. Our main resistance contact Herman Srunk uh, had lived in the Dutch East Indies before the war, so I tried to warn him in the Malay language, giving him details and asking him to find out what he could. After that, no one was allowed to use the phone. All through the weekend, we took turns sitting guard with two persons during the night. Now the girls also took turns. Tante Kess and Tante Bep 
between short naps, provided food and drink, trying to relieve the tension. On Sunday, a reliable Dutch policeman brought news that Newley had been interrogated, but he had no information on what happened. Had she been forced to say too much, endangering us all? Someone else brought word that the underground might try to liberate her because she knew too much and could be a danger to many. Monday morning brought mixed news. Newley was okay, but had been taken again to Gestapo headquarters for further questioning that day. That meant a renewed and grave risk that she would be forced to give information which could lead to a raid. We gathered in the parlor, discussed these very real dangers, and reluctantly agreed that we had to leave. So during the morning, the guests in the watchmaker's home disappeared one by one. Yusi went to good friends, the John Vermer couple, uh, on the Schultzwin. Thea found temporary shelter with acquaintances. Hunk went to the home of relatives. Mary and I went to my home. Others took our scant luggage so as not to attract any special attention to us, and we all arrived safely at our new addresses. Grandfather and the Tantes remained behind in a house eerily empty and silent, and while each of the refugees had difficulty adjusting to their new situation, remarkably enough, this was also true for the Tembooms. However, quiet and safe their small household might have become again, when Mary visited them on Tuesday, the three of them independently told her they missed us terribly and wanted us to return as soon as possible. But though we heard no bad news about Newley, we agreed it was still too risky. In the next weeks, Thea and Mary acted as uh, couriers. They visited the various addresses during evening walks to carry news, messages, and requests. Yusi was restive, used to company. Uh, he walked up and down his small room and bothered his hosts with all sorts of comments and questions. It was his way of relieving his tension and soothing his uncertainties. Thea also was also unhappy in her new place. Her hosts hadn't wanted her to come, and both parties remained distant, critical, and irritated. We had to find another place for her as soon as possible. A week after Newley's arrest, we received more bad news. The Gestapo raided the home of the Dulu family and the Newey, on the Newey Grant, arresting them along with 19 Jews they had sheltered. My parents and the Tembooms knew that the Dulu family and several of the Jews they had hidden knew Yusi very well. They might, we thought, know that he was hiding at the Tembooms. Bad news coming upon bad, we heard that Newley had been taken to Amsterdam, but we didn't know if she had been taken to the prison or to the notorious Gestapo headquarters on the Yurtsterpestrat. Stories of resistance workers who passed through Gestapo headquarters indicated that they would stop at nothing to break the silence of those arrested. They used mental and emotional pressure to extract information. 
they would mention, for example, in confidence, a well, few well-known bits of information about resistance workers, or they would promise to set the prisoner free in exchange for information. They threatened to arrest and molest wives, children, and parents, and they didn't hesitate to use physical torture to get what they wanted. We never knew who was strong enough or smart enough to resist or who would break the mention and mention names and addresses. The family was deeply worried about newly and depressed. Prayer offered the only solace. Everyone agreed that we should stay away from the Bayet, so the strange interlude continued. The Tenboom home showed the familiar quiet of a watchmaker's business, but its guests disappeared around uh, di dispersed around the city and longing for each other's company managed to keep in touch. Meanwhile, the war grew on, or the, the war ground on. We heard rumors from many sources suggesting that the invasion was imminent. In a broadcast, the Queen told the country, The hour of liberation is at hand. We heard Churchill say, I long for the day when the Allied forces will cross the Channel. This, unbelievably, was confirmed in the Nazi-controlled newspapers, but when we when would we be free? The waiting went on. Early in September, Allied forces began heavy bombing of northern France and Belgium, and even several strategic locations in the southwestern part of the Netherlands. The bombing interrupted the train service to Zeeland, and the regular mail contact I had had with my fiancé only adding to my agony when Italy surrendered on September 8, the streets filled with smiling people, hoping that the turn, that, that turn of events would mark the beginning of the end of suffering for us too. On the day Mussolini was liberated in a daring swoop by German paratroopers, September 13, newly von Warden came home, totally unexpected, jubilant messengers from the Bayet brought us the news, and we could hardly believe it but we joined the Tenboom family in their excitement over her return. They showered her with hugs and kisses and welcome back cards and flowers. It turned out that the Jewish girl she sheltered was also saved. The underground raided the truck carrying her to Amsterdam and took all the prisoners by force from the SS guards. Of course, Grandfather and Tante Bep and Tante Kess couldn't contain their joy. They continually praised the good Lord for his protection. The re real story of what happened and why Newley had been released never reached us. We didn't dare ask for details, and many questions remained unanswered. Nor did we want to spoil the happiness of Grandfather and his daughters. Thankfully, they agreed to our suggestions to play it's safe and postpone our return to the Bayet for at least another week. Join me next time for Chapter 7, Day of Doom and Destruction.